Good afternoon, church. If you would please remain standing for the reading of God's word. We will be in John chapter 17, verses 1 through 19. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good afternoon. I hope that y'all are doing well. Thanks, man. My name is Marco, and I serve as the preaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It's a joy to be with you in this very warm and toasty sanctuary. Um, I say that because thank you so much for your patience. We're aware, we're working with Valley Community, and so we'll see what comes up. In the meantime, uh, drink a lot of water. Um, in the event that you didn't catch Chewy, we're going to find ourselves in John 17. We're looking at a massive chunk of scripture. We're going to be looking at John 17 verses 1 through 19. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open them. And while you open or load your Bible, I'll give you a couple of quick updates. The first one is that if you are new, we'd love to hang out with you or simply have the opportunity to pray for you. And so on the pews and in the connect desk, we have these little connect cards. And so let me encourage you to fill one out and one of our staff team will be praying for you or be reaching out to you so that we can hang. In addition to that, there are these Bibles on the pew. That's our gift to you. So if you don't have one, take one. That's our gift to you because we love God's word. We love to preach from God's word. Therefore, we love giving God's word. 
Other than that, that's all I have. Let's dive into our time. The ongoing question that we've been asking during this series has been, how's your prayer life going? The purpose of that question isn't to guilt you into praying more, but so that we would see through the words of Jesus that prayer ought to be prominent in our personal lives as well as the life of our church. You see, it is in prayer where we abide and commune with God. As we come to John 17, what we're going to see is that you and I are going to get this front row seat to Jesus praying. And what we're going to see is that as Jesus prays out loud to the Father, it's not actually for his benefit, but for ours. Additionally, we're going to see Jesus pray specific and bold prayers that are incredibly powerful and humbling as we realize that Jesus was praying for us some 2,000 years ago. Have you ever had that prayer warrior friend or family member who is simply ready to pray for everything and anything and prays boldly? When I think about that, I think about my cousin Eddie, and he's not a character, that's really his name. My cousin Eddie is far more charismatic in his theology than I am, and we differ in a couple of areas, but the dude is an absolute beast when it comes to prayer. Oftentimes when I find myself around Eddie, if I'm honest, sometimes I am both annoyed and feeling so unspiritual uh, once I leave that it says more about my heart than it does Eddie's heart. For instance, there was this moment where I attended our uncle's funeral, and I was exhausted by the time I got there. Uh, It was on a Sunday. I preached uh, the morning at the incubator when we were there, and then I had a couple of counseling appointments afterward. And so then I go to the funeral home, and I'm walking in, and I'm already tired. I'm exhausted, and I'm seeing family members that I haven't seen in a couple of years, much less even remember their names. And I'm walking in, and I'm stressing out, and there comes Eddie. And Eddie comes straight up to me and he says, hey, you look tired, which oftentimes is kind of a polite way to say you look terrible, but uh, I think he meant it in this case, or at least I'd like to believe that he did. And so he says, hey, you look tired. And I said, man, I am. I didn't even get to tell him why I was tired. And right there in the funeral home, all I feel is Eddie's hand on my shoulder, another one raised up, and homeboy starts praying out loud, boldly, that I would find rest and restoration in the Lord. And the thing about this is, it's in the middle of the funeral. Like, this isn't as it's about to start. Like, it's undergoing, and Eddie just did not care. He does it right then and there. And this wasn't the only time that Eddie did something like this. I remember that same day leaving the funeral home, and as I'm walking out, I'm seeing Eddie talk to someone who I'm pretty sure isn't a family member, and I'm pretty sure they weren't attending the funeral. And I could see Eddie, like my hands, he talks with his hands. I could see him doing this, and then all of a sudden see him do this. And he's, he's praying for this individual outside of the funeral home. <laughs> and... Uh, Man, Eddie, Eddie could just pray, because he's, he's so awesome. And it sounds like Randy Quaid from Christmas Vacation, but I'm telling you the truth. Uh, that's his name. Anyway, each time I just walk away feeling so inadequate, because I was that dude that say, yeah, I'll pray for you, dot, 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 on my own time. And here is Eddie dropping everything he's doing to pray boldly, sincerely, and specifically. In John 17, we're going to see Jesus do the same thing. And his prayer is not only beautiful, it's not only powerful, but it is soaked with the truth of Scripture. 
not opinion, not experience, but the truth of God. And while I have family like Eddie and I desire to pray like him boldly, I also know that it's the words of Jesus that comfort my soul even more. And as we look at John 17 this week and next week, and I'll talk more about that in a little bit, as we look at John 17 this week and next week, what I want you to see is that prayer apart from Scripture withers while prayer with Scripture sanctifies. Prayer apart from Scripture withers while prayer with Scripture, filled with Scripture, sanctifies. And so let me pray, and we'll dig into this time. God, we thank you for this afternoon. We thank you for the ability to meet freely, to gather and exalt the name of Jesus, um, where we get to sing praises to your name and give you all of the glory as we are sanctified. God, as we come to John 17, my simple prayer is that we would be shaped by your word, that our hearts would be filled with your words and work and wonder, uh, and then wherever it is that we need, Lord, by your spirit, would you bring both conviction and comfort? And so we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. Well, John 17 is known as the high priestly prayer, although some would argue that this is the true Lord's prayer because this is actually Jesus praying. It's not him simply teaching us how to pray. This prayer is broken up into three parts, and for the purpose of our time and in this series, we're, we're going to look at this prayer in two sections, one today, one next week. And we're going to consider this prayer at a 50,000-foot view. In other words, we're going to pull themes from this prayer and examine and consider those themes. For now, as I mentioned, we'll be in the high priestly prayer for two weeks. The setting of this prayer, ta prayer takes place on the night where Jesus was about to be betrayed and arrested and ultimately crucified. And so John 17 begins with Jesus praying for himself. And this is the first breakdown, if you will, of this prayer. Jesus prays for himself. I'll only read sections. Here's what it opens up with. When Jesus had spoken these words, this is verse 1, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. This section, verses 1 through 5, could be summarized into one word, and the word is glorify. Jesus prays for the Father to glorify him. The word glory is often seen in Scripture, and you and I might go through it pretty quickly. In case you're not familiar, the word means weighty. It means heaviness, meaningfulness. And the glory of God refers to his splendor, his beauty, his majesty, his awesomeness. One pastor said it this way, the word glory could somewhat mean something similar to the effect of to make a big deal out of. In other words, when Jesus prays to the Father to, to glorify him, Jesus prays to make a big deal out of him. I wouldn't necessarily equate it to that phrase, but if you needed something similar, there you go. And at first glance, when Jesus prays this, it sounds self-centered. However, the center of God's redemptive plan is Jesus and so if it sounds strange to you, it's because glory, that is weight and heaviness and meaningfulness, it's actually something that you and I hunger for. 
It's something that you and I strive to want to be a part of. We desire to want to be a part of something glorious in our lives. The problem is that regardless of what we do and who we seek and what we attach ourselves to, all of these glorious little moments eventually fade into the background of our lives. So for a moment, I want you to consider the glory days. Oftentimes when we talk about the glory days, it's some reference to a football movie or even your days in football back in ninth grade, right? And when it comes to referring back to the glory days, we're constantly thinking about our peak athletic performance. And we're just thinking, oh man, if I could go back and have that second chance, things would have been different. Things could have changed in my life if I just went back to 1983. Things like what Uncle Rico and Napoleon Dynamite only dream of. Right? Those are the glory days. We attach ourselves to something like that because, man, if only it had lasted, it would have provided such meaningfulness in my life. Another example could be that in the great country of Texas, we have diehard Dallas Cowboys fans who revel at the hope of the Cowboys making the Super Bowl. Why? Because someone just said, yeah, eventually, right? Here it is. Like, why? Because those fans attach themselves to the weight of that glory so that they can celebrate and honor the Cowboys and participate in that glory themselves. They want to attach themselves to that victory so that they would celebrate it with them, so that they would honor them. Experiences and jokes like the Dallas Cowboys are things and experiences that happen in our lives that give you a taste of something that you're hungry for. See, we give meaning and significance to these areas of our lives so that we would find our own personal glory. It's not just football. It could be our relationships. It could be our jobs. It could be our children. It could be certain experiences. The truth of this matter is that it is only Jesus who could sustain our need and hunger for glory. His glory is the only thing weighty enough to sustain us. To glorify God is to honor him, to celebrate him, to point to him, to make a big deal of him, not simply in our belief, but in our behavior. When Jesus prays at the beginning of John 17 for him to be glorified, one thing to note is that this is not the kind of prayer that you and I pray to God because then that would be self-centered. And that's where the rub is at, that you and I are not at the center. That's where the rub is at. But I want you to consider for a moment what Jesus is actually praying for here. Yes, it is for him, or he is praying to the Father to be glorified, but how is it that Jesus is asking the Father to be glorified? Let's consider verses four and five for a moment. Jesus says, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. In verse 1, Jesus says, the hour has come. And what he's talking about is the conclusion of his mission to be accomplished. Jesus is facing or about to face his crucifixion. In verses four and five, Jesus is saying to the Father, Father, glorify me in what's about to happen so that you would be glorified. 
in the betrayal I'm about to experience, in the arrest that I'm about to experience, in my crucifixion and in my ultimate death, glorify me so that you would be glorified. That's a weighty prayer. Additionally, Jesus prays to to be restored back to his glory. And, And in this section, what we see is this glimpse at eternity past when the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit entered into a covenant with each other where the Father appoints the Son for the work of redemption. The Son accomplishes this work through his life, death, and resurrection. And the Spirit applies the work of Jesus towards sinners. See, Jesus isn't being selfish. Jesus is saying, my work is nearly finished, and I'm ready to come home. The reformer John Calvin, we call him Johnny Calves, he says this, this is a remarkable passage which teaches us that Christ is not a God who has, new, who has been newly contrived or who has existed only for a time. For if his glory was eternal, he also has always been. This is why we make such a big deal of the cross. Jesus is the focal point of God's glory. He is the focal point of his glory and redemptive plan. And you and I are the ones that get to point to him. We are not the point. We are pointers. We point to Jesus. Oftentimes in, in the Bible, we see this illustration uh, of, the, of a wedding, bride and the groom, right? And a good wedding party makes a big deal of the bride and the groom. It's kind of weird, right, when like the best man is trying to get the attention or trying to get the attention of the bride. That's awkward and weird and dumb and really foolish, right? And so what we see here is a good bridal party is the one who makes a big deal of the bride and the groom, right? You and I get to be a part of the party and we're making a big deal of Jesus. We get to point to him because his glory is not only eternal but good. Jesus prays by saying that the Father has additionally given him authority, that the Father has given him a people saved from eternity past through this unfolding plan of redemption. And so here's the application as we consider Jesus praying for his glory to be restored. And that is, do we give God his glory in our prayers? Do we make a big deal of Jesus in our prayers or are our prayers solely about us and what we want and what we can get from God? You see, those who walk and want it to be about their personal glory are the most miserable. Yet those who want it to be about God's glory forget themselves and walk truly humbled and happy. Do you give God his glory in your prayers? The glory we hunger for is only enjoyed and sustained when we seek God's glory, not our own. Next, Jesus moves from his glory or praying for his glory to be restored. Now he moves to praying for his disciples, the immediate disciples, the 11. At this point in this prayer, Judas has already bounced. And so there are two wonderful petitions in verses 6 through 19 that we're going to focus on. 
Jesus prays to the Father to fortify and sanctify the disciples, and in turn us. So those are the two petitions, to fortify and to sanctify the disciples. Consider verse, I think it's verse 10. I can't really see. Anyway, here we go. So here's what he says. I'm almost lost. All right, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. Keep them in your name. The first thing that Jesus prays for is for God to keep them, to fortify them. In this section, Jesus is praying out loud and he's telling the Father that he's about to leave, but the disciples are staying. And he prays that the Father would keep them, that he would protect them, that he would keep them loyal to him, that he would keep them in the love of God. And here's what's wild about this. If you know any of the disciples, you know that these dudes drop the ball almost all of the time. In fact, in the context of John 17, in a few hours, they all will literally bail on Jesus. Peter will deny him. John will walk hidden in the background. Mark will run away in his underwear. And yet Jesus, in John 17, says, they have kept your word. Going back to verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. What? These are the dudes that bounced on him. These are the guys that are constantly failing, and he's saying they've kept your word. Those who had little faith, those who were constantly stumbling, the selfish ones, the brawlers, the ones who are constantly absent-minded, thinking of something else. Jesus says that they have kept his word. If Jesus says this about the disciples, how much more does he say and pray this for you? What beautiful grace. What beautiful grace. Earlier this week, I met with an individual, and one of the things that they said as I was asking how they were doing, one of the biggest weights or convictions on them was, I just don't read enough. And my question was, what is the gospel, and what has God been teaching you? And they go on to tell me, and one of the things is I referred them back to this section of Scripture saying, hey, you have kept his word. Like you think you're supposed to know libraries of information. The question is whether or not you know Jesus, whether or not you know his word, and you do. You have kept his word. I get it. You stumble, you fall, and yet his grace is sufficient for you. Whatever it is you know about God's word right now, live it out and continue to grow. Live it out, but continue to grow. The context is for his immediate disciples, but it's also a reminder of God's grace for you. It's a reminder of God's grace for you, Christian. It is a reminder of God's special love for you, Christian. Yes, Jesus loves sinners, and he desires all to be saved, but there is a distinction between being made in the image of God and being a child of God. Here, we're talking specifically about those who belong to him. And so if you're that disciple like Peter and John and Mark who's stumbling and falling, hey, this is God's grace for you, saying, hey, I know you have kept his word. 
When Jesus prays for God to keep us, he knows exactly what he's praying for. He knows exactly that you and I are going to stumble. For those who belong to Jesus by grace through faith, he guards you. He says that elsewhere in John 17. I have guarded them. There's never been a time in this life or in eternity past that Jesus has not had his eye on you or you have not been kept or you have not been sustained. Consider for a moment verse 12. While I was with them, he's talking to the disciples, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them. When Jesus prays for God to keep us, he's praying for us to persevere and we persevere because Jesus intercedes for us. Right now, Jesus is praying to the Father for you. So take comfort in this truth. God uses means for us to persevere. One of those ways is that God keeps those who are his by warning him. So if the question is, well, how do we persevere? Man, we persevere by taking notice of his warnings, by taking notice of his word. See, those who know Jesus, those who love him, those who uh, follow him, his warnings of scripture do not fall on deaf ears. They heed the warnings of scripture. They are the ones who pray, lead me not into temptation, deliver me from the evil one. Here's my concern, is Jesus is praying to the Father, fortify them, keep them, protect them, right? As we pray, man, lead me not into temptation. The thing here is, the concern here is, Prayers like this happen too little and too infrequent. Man, when was the last time that we prayed, oh, Father, keep me? Do you really think you are above falling? Once more, John Calvin prophetically said, no, there's kids in here, I'm sorry. He said, sin makes us stupid. Maybe not in those words, but that's what he said. In other words, there are very few who wake up and decide to ruin their lives. How many times have you wondered about why you made that dumb decision again? Why you made or how you could have made that bad calculation? How many times have you been that individual that kept saying to yourself, like, man, I just keep jacking it up because sin makes us stupid. And so when Jesus prays to the Father to fortify the disciples, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's praying to the Father, they need your help. In turn, he's praying the same thing. They need your help. Do we pray to be kept? Do we pray this for others, for our family, for our children, for church leadership, to our friends? Do we pray this for God to keep them? I was reminded of this example during the, the, the pandemic in 2020, right? We're all tripping out because we didn't know what to do, and so everybody's taking precaution, not knocking that, right? But one of the things that was really, really evident, particularly in the church, is that there were many, many prayers uh, concerning the virus or, uh, you know, going against the virus. Keep us from the virus, keep us from the virus, keep us from the virus, and not knocking that. But do we pray, keep us from vice, Keep us from sin. Father, keep me because I am weak. 
Father, keep me because, man, I'm tempted. I know I'm about to walk into something, or I know there are things around me. Keep me. Protect me. Keep me in your love. In John 17, uh, Jesus adds in this whole prayer of fortification, he goes and adds by asking the Father, hey, don't take them out of the world. I'm actually not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm not telling you to get them out of hardship. I'm asking that you get them through it. See, people are going to hate you simply because you love Jesus. It doesn't always have to be someone across the street or an organization. It could be in your home. People are going to hate you just because you love Jesus. You don't need to be panicked because you need to be liked. You don't need to be super polite. In other words, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to do really, really good things. You will be hated simply because you know and follow Jesus. And so we persevere by being kept. And if you live a faithful life, expect to be hated. And it's not one of those go and figure it out. Man, we pray to be kept because we are weak and we are needy. Any way you cut it, you and I are needy. And this is why Jesus prays for us to be kept in the world. Let us boldly pray to be kept by God. Let us boldly pray for God to keep others. Let's not waste time in coming before the Lord to ask to be kept, to ask for our family and our kids to be kept, to be protected. Let's not waste time in that. The second petition is that Jesus prays uh, for God to sanctify his disciples. This is found in verse 17. Jesus goes on to say, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. The word sanctify here means to make holy or to set apart. Jesus says that the disciples, and in turn you and I, are different from the world, that we are set apart from the world. Why? Well, because we have died to this world. The Apostle Paul to the Colossians says it this way, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died. You have died to this world. You have died to the power of sin because of what Jesus has done for you. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That word hidden means that you are kept from danger, that you are secure. He's saying you have died. You are not who you used to be. In fact, you are now new and secure because of Jesus's work for you. And how are we to be sanctified? How are we to grow and mature? How are we to expand in our knowledge of who Jesus is? By setting our mind on things that are above through the truth. Look back once more at what Jesus says. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word of God is able to penetrate the fortress of our hearts so that we would be shaped by the word, not by the world. Shaped by Christ, not by the culture. Shaped by the glory of God's gospel, not by the glory of our own personal glory. If your heart is hardened, 
then know that it is the truth of God that is strong enough to break the heart into pieces so that it might be renewed and restored. God says this about his word in Jeremiah. Is my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Once more, Jesus says, sanctify them, make them holy, set them apart, mature them by the truth. Not an experience, not their feelings, but the truth of God's word. Lasting truth comes through the renewing of the mind, which comes from the truth of God. And what is it that our churches need? What is it that our family needs, our friends? They need our personal holiness. When you and I are out in the world and people are looking at you and I, they want to see that we're walking in holiness. Well, how do we walk in holiness? By being sanctified by God's truth. Do our prayers include the truth of God? What God has made known to us in his word, do we pray it back to him? Are our prayers saturated with scripture so that we would be sanctified, grow in him, transformed, matured by him? Paul to the Colossians says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How are we to be sanctified? By the truth of God's word. Jesus knew exactly what he was praying for when he asked God to fortify and to sanctify us. Well, as we wrap it up, I haven't seen Eddie in a long time, but I'm guessing he's out there praying for everyone and anyone, boldly and loudly at times. And while that encourages me, it is the words of Jesus that minister to my soul even more. And that is my prayer for you in this section that the words of Jesus would minister to your soul more than any other experience or subjective feelings that come and go. In this prayer, we see the heart of Jesus abiding in the Father through the truth of his word. May we not wither at the expense of inconvenience, but rather may we grow in sanctification through the truth of God in prayer. So Christian, How's your prayer life going? Is it only about you and what God should do for you? Or does it involve his glory? Does it involve you to be fortified? Does it involve for you to be sanctified? You can bring all your concerns and burdens to him. I promise you, he can take it. So come before the Lord in prayer this afternoon. And if you're not a Christian... God hears you, but the only prayer he's going to listen to from you is the one of repentance. See, God has made a way for you to know him through Jesus, and Jesus pardons any sinner who turns to him in faith and repentance. See, in this, he offers you the grace of salvation that you cannot earn and gives you a new heart. Thank you so much for being here because you didn't have to be. And my biggest encouragement to you is to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus. Church, prayer apart from Scripture withers, while prayer with Scripture 
sanctifies. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love to us in Jesus. Jesus' prayer in, in John 17 is a beautiful look into his heart and a reminder of his sovereign pursuit of us. God, use this prayer. Use the words of Jesus to impact the hardness of our hearts, the vain glory that we desire, and the selfish conduct that we tend to live out. Use this prayer to soften our hearts to your love through Jesus so that we would boldly come before you in communion. Father, you are good. Change our hearts today. By your spirit, draw us near to you this afternoon. Help us put sin to death. Help us to grow in holiness. Help us to depend on you. Father, for my brothers and sisters here this afternoon, keep them. Keep them from their sin. Keep them from destruction. Keep them from the evil one. Guard them and guide them, Holy Spirit. Father, sanctify them with the truth of your word. May they be shaped by your word and not the world. They were once dead in their sin, and you have made them alive in Christ by your word, your work, and your wonder. Sanctify them, Lord. Lord, may your will be our will so that in turn we would have our will. 